Check one, two. Go! Curious about real estate? Yes! Then you've come to the right place. Get the knowledge you need. Get over the fear and get started. This is the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show with your host, Michael Quarles. Hello, everybody. Michael Quarles with the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show. I have with me today Jason Hartman. I'm excited. You know, one of the things I like about these interviews is I get to learn so much from these people. I mean, they're fascinating to me. They're all over the place, meaning they have all kinds of different topics to talk about. But Jason, and he hits at home. He's a real estate investor. He's gotten like 600 real estate podcasts out there. He's passively investing, just an outstanding individual. So we're going to get going here. Here we go. Hi, Jason. Tell us about yourself. Well, I uh, have been around real estate pretty much all of my life. I got inspired to get in that business when I was uh, 16 years old and uh, started formally my career at age 19. And I uh, I just love real estate investing. And I think it's the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. That is my main focus. However, I do uh, I do a bunch of other things as well and uh, just have a lot of different areas of interest and that's why I developed uh, my podcast network to cover a lot of a lot of interesting topics. For those of us that don't know about your podcast network, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, the Hartman Media basically started out publishing one show uh, about 10 years ago called The Creating Wealth Show. And that is a, uh, a real estate podcast. It's my most popular show still even today. We've got over 600 episodes and I've interviewed a lot of famous guests on my show. Basically, we just talk about real estate investing and economics and things like that. But in about 2009, Michael, as the economy was going through some pretty tough times, I started my second show, which was a survival show entitled The Holistic Survival Show, and um, gained a big audience there, and then started a whole bunch of other shows in various topics that I just had a personal interest in. So whether they be a longevity and biohacking, travel, monetary policy, uh, a bunch of things like that. I've got a variety of shows which cover uh, a lot of these different topics. And it's just a lot of fun, as I'm sure you will agree, to learn so much by interviewing all of these thought leaders and experts in uh, various fields. You know, I, I, I come away every time I chat with someone with at least a, a big nugget. I have a lot of little nuggets, but I mean, I, it's like I have a gold mine you know, at the end of every show. And it's, it's, it's right. fascinating. Now I have to, I, I'm, a, I'm a little jealous. I'm going to say it right now. Just, okay. I'm a lot <laughs> jealous. So I, I, I it, truth be told, you were 16 when you got your feet wet in real estate. Tell me about that. Uh, no, not when I got my feet wet, just when I was inspired to do it. I was listening to an infomercial about a real estate guru and I went out and I got his book. And I read three chapters. I mean, I was in high school. And, uh, you know, after growing up relatively poor in Los Angeles, California, and not liking that very much, I thought, you know, there's got to be a way, you know, what do I do? Do I start a business? Uh, do I get into investing? Whatever. And I, I read three chapters of Guy's book. I put it down. My mom picked it up and read the rest. 
And she started going to real estate seminars, reading books about investing and so forth. And two years later, she says to me, you know, Jason, you got me interested in this real estate stuff. I've been learning about it for the past couple of years. There's a big seminar in Anaheim by Disneyland this weekend. Why don't you go? So I rounded up nine of my buddies from high school and I got them all to go. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, Friday night, they were all there. By Saturday morning, only one was left besides myself. And by Sunday afternoon, I was the only one that attended the whole weekend. All of my friends went to the beach and had a good time. But I was really serious. I was really motivated about this. Then after that seminar, I decided I should just learn the basics, learn the business. So I got my real estate license in my first year of college when I was 19, and I just went to work for Century 21. And I started working with investors because that was my reason for getting in the business. And I started putting little ads in uh, the Orange County Register uh, advertising government repo properties, HUD and VA foreclosures. And I just started showing them to clients and selling them. And then about six months after I was in the business, I was only 20 years old now, uh, one of my clients, his name was Jim Wool, uh, he had purchased a few properties from me and he said, you know, Jason, this one property in Huntington Beach, I don't like it very much. I'm not having very good uh, tenant experiences. Why don't you take the listing and just sell it for me? And I said, you know what, Jim? I don't want to sell it for you. I want to buy it from you. And that was my first investment property when I was 20 years old. And uh, it all just went from there. And I just started investing and I was in the brokerage side of the business. And I love dealing with clients and learning from them and helping them with their uh, properties and then uh, building my own portfolio on the side. And, and that's really how it all happened. Fascinating. Well, I was 19, my, well, 18, 19. So we were both teenagers, which is you know, when you say yeah. it, you, I almost feel guilty saying I was a teenager when I bought my first property. And by the way, we're kind of connected because I bought my first property from a Century 21 realtor. Go figure, <laughs> you know, Century 21 was big back then. The, the, the gold jackets. Now, small world and a cheesy <laughs> gold jacket. I still have mine, by the way. I've worn it as a Halloween costume a couple times over yeah. the years. <laughs> I'll borrow that one from you. Yeah, there you go. Did you, on your first pro, um, transaction, did you buy it traditionally? Like, did you go out and get bank financing? Did the seller do some seller creative financing with you? What did yeah. you do there? Great question. Great question. Yeah, no, I, it was a little bit creative. Um, I, I basically, you know, since, since the client had just purchased it from me, um, I was able to assume his FHA loan. And uh, put basically nothing down on the property. I just paid the closing costs, so it was a no money down deal, and um, and and took over for him. And uh, so that was a creative deal. And um, you know, you can do creative deals, but Michael, as I'm sure you'll agree, they are hard to find. And a lot of times, people in the name of creativity in a deal end up overpaying for the property. So I find that there's almost too much emphasis on that nowadays because so many people have, you know, seen all these infomercials and they've heard all of this stuff and, you know, they're really not always serving themselves through creativity. I, I just want to kind of put that out there as a, as a cautionary tale. Yeah, there are some though that are absolutely preaching creativity. That isn't truly a, an asset builder. 
if the if the person buying the property really truly looked at the numbers. Oh yeah, it, it definitely can be. You know, I, I just think that a lot of people become right, very misled right. by it. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there a little now, bit. On that, you you assume that FHA. Now that was at probably maybe I'm just assuming maybe at that time it was a non-qual FHA assumable loan. You know, I don't even remember. Was it pre like seventy <laughs> four? I mean, I mean, it was it was. Oh, okay. of course, yeah, it was long after the due on sale clause was upheld by the Supreme Court. So there was a due on sale clause, but it was it was relatively easy to assume it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I did it subject to. I, I just. I, I just can't remember. You know, it was obviously a long time ago. In either case, I got into that property for pretty much no money down. And then my second property was kind of interesting. I got conventional bank financing on my second one, uh, but I structured a creative deal there too by borrowing the down payment from my grandmother. And uh, so my returns were pretty much infinite on that deal too, because I sold it 11 months later, um, made a very nice uh, margin. The market was appreciating and um, paid my grandmother back with interest and made a huge return on that property. So, uh, you know, that's the great thing about income property as an asset class. It's a multi-dimensional asset class. There are many ways you can make profits. You can make it from cash flow, from leverage, by doing creative financing, doing lease options, by restructuring rents. I mean, there's just an endless amount of creativity available to you because it's a multidimensional asset class. If you compare it with stocks and bonds and mutual funds, those asset classes are terrible because you don't have these multidimensional aspects. Uh, you have made one or maybe two dimensions. If you take non-dividend paying stocks or say precious metals or, you know, other asset classes where it's just a capital appreciation play, it's one dimension. If it pays a dividend, it's two dimensions. Maybe you'll make appreciation. Maybe you'll make a dividend in the meantime. But you can't do anything creative. You can't add value. I mean, Wall Street is a, you know, I call it the modern version of organized crime. <laughs> I think you, a lot of people might um, second that opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they would. Even the insiders agree with that. Some, a lot of them, uh, but uh, you know, they're just cogs in the machine. You know, uh, so uh, real estate or income property, it, it's just a fantastic asset class. I, I think it's the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. I love it. I fell in love with dirt when I was 19. It took me away from the Air Force I had enlisted in, and I've sat on dirt. Since then, and I just, I love it. I guess when I was five, I loved the dirt too, but it was a different type of dirt that I loved. <laughs> there you go. Well, you fell in love with the right thing. I mean, you know, everything, if you really think about it, all, all value comes from the earth, right? You know, uh, whether they be agriculture, precious metals, real estate, oil and gas, you know, all of this value, all of these commodities come from the earth. As the National Association of uh, Realtors preamble says, under all is land. Yes. So uh, it's a it's a great asset class. No Can question. we touch on your thoughts on leverage? For those of us that that yeah. maybe leverage poor, knowing what that means, explain to us your ideas of leverage. 
Well, I think leverage in any field is an incredibly powerful tool because the concept is that it allows you to do more with less. You know, Archimedes had a great quote. He said, give me a lever long enough and I will move the entire world. And it's really true. You can do a lot more with less. Uh, in, in real estate, for example, when you're putting 20% down on a property, you have a five to one leverage ratio. So you can basically be five times bigger, if you will, than you really are. And, and, and you can increase your results by a multiple of five by 500%. And if you look at people like Donald Trump and so many other wealthy people who've created their wealth from income property, from real estate, they did it by using leverage. Leverage is an extremely powerful tool. It magnifies results. Of course, you have to use it prudently. You need to be careful. It is a powerful tool, but you've got to be prudent about it, obviously. It's just a very, very powerful tool for anything we want to do in life. We've got to gain leverage. Uh, leverage, leverage, leverage. Very powerful. So prudently, what would be an example of not being prudent as we relate to leverage? What are the danger signs that folks should be conscientious and cautious about when it comes to leverage? Well, certainly if you buy a property, for example, and you have, you don't get a non-recourse loan, meaning that the lender can go back to other assets that you have outside of the property. If you do that, and you become over leveraged and you get yourself into trouble with the, uh, the investment, then, you know, that could really be a disaster. Most, uh, residential income property loans are non-recourse loans. So they can only look to the property as their collateral. And that, uh, really dramatically reduces your risk. Commercial properties, on the other hand, though, many times will be recourse loans. So those can be very, very risky. And uh, it's, it's just important that you buy a property. I have this thing I call the 10 Commandments of Successful Investing, and it's really part of my core content. And commandment number five is thou shalt not gamble. Thou shalt not gamble. And what I mean by that is that the property must make sense the day you buy it or you don't buy it. Never buy a property with the expectation of a capital gain. If appreciation comes, it's icing on the cake. But buy it because it makes sense from day one from a cash flow perspective. So it either breaks even or hopefully has positive cash flow from day one. And that is the way you will avoid getting yourself into trouble. Look at a metric called the debt coverage ratio. And the debt coverage ratio is really, uh, you know, might be more simply stated as the, you know, what's the likelihood I'm going to get myself into trouble with this property? And if you have a debt coverage ratio of one, where it's basically one to one, you're just breaking even. Uh, where you have a debt coverage ratio of, say, 1.5, you've got a good margin, basically a 50% margin that's going to keep you out of trouble in that property. So the likelihood of you getting into trouble with that, that good debt coverage ratio is very, very low. And, you know, balance that. Use leverage. It's a powerful tool. You know, it's like nuclear weapons, right? Many people would argue that nuclear weapons have saved lives, 
because the deterrent factor of the massive destruction they could cause has prevented many wars. You know, it's it's kind of counterintuitive. A lot of people don't realize that offhand. And and leverage is also this very powerful tool like nuclear weapons, but you got to be careful with it. Okay, so respect it. You want to share the other um, nine commandments? Well, not all okay. nine of them. <laughs> but, but, you know, let me give you another really good one. And it's been very popular and, and has resonated with my uh, audience and my clients very much. And it's commandment number three. And it says, thou shalt maintain control. And what I mean by this is be a direct investor. Don't invest in pooled asset classes. Invest in something that you directly control. You don't want to relinquish control of your money to somebody else. You want to be in control. And that's one of the other wonderful things about income property as an asset class. You can maintain control. You decide what to buy, where to buy, when to buy, how to finance it, how much to rent it for, whom to rent it to, uh, when to sell it, when to refinance it, when to do a 1031 exchange. It's all in your control. And when we make the mistake of not following commandment number three, of not maintaining control, of relinquishing control to somebody else when we're not a direct investor, we leave ourselves susceptible to three major problems. Number one, we might be investing with a crook. Number two, we might be investing with an idiot, okay? So either a crook or an idiot, you're likely to lose money. Uh, or assuming they're honest and competent, the third problem is they take a huge management fee off the top for managing the deal. And we want to go direct. And that's one of the great things about income property is you, you can be a direct right. investor. You don't have to relinquish control to somebody that's else. Right. And even for the person that may not be as experienced as, as we are, they, they can still buy a, an investment property successfully. Yeah, you know, it's very easy. I mean, just, just buy some humble single family homes. The good old fashioned humble single family home is, I would argue, and you know, I really have been saying this for a long time, Michael, and I haven't really heard anybody argue with me on it. So, you know, now my last I, name is Quarles. I, I just, any, you know, yeah, just, well, yeah, so okay. quarrel with me. <laughs> yeah. Good warning, good warning. And, and that is the single family home as an income property investment is the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. I don't think anything can come close to that. The other asset classes I would like after it are I like apartment buildings. I like mobile home parks. You notice that those are all housing. Okay. I do not like condos. Okay. Because condos have their own set of problems. And then my next choice is a business, your own business. Right. Well, as a foolish person in 1993, when someone showed me email for the first time, he, uh, he actually said, let me show you something. I said, sure, show me something. So he, he went to his computer. It was a little 64 way back then. He sent his friend an email, called his friend, said, hey, I sent you an email. Call me back. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy, this is not going to work. Because if you've got to call someone to tell them that you've got an email, <laughs> funny, yeah. why don't you just talk to them? Well, had I been a little bit more lo- savvy, I would have bought as much as I could in the dot-com world. 
And I, w- I would own quite a bit of real estate in the, in the dot com world because I think that, that piece of real estate is pretty magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, certainly people have made money in that, no question. And people continue to do it today, I'm sure to a lesser extent. But I remember when right. business.com sold for $7.5 million. It's worth nothing near that today, though. Domain names, I own about 300 of them. They are little pieces of real estate, really. But unless you have really prime names, I find they're pretty difficult to sell, honestly. And I have paid really good money for them, and I have sold them for really good money. When, you know, prior to everybody else noticing that they were also a good asset to invest in. In 1993, had I been wiser, I would have bought quite a few of them. And um, Well, I agree with you back then, but, uh, you know, who would have thought yep. the internet would turn into what it did, right? Who would have, and, uh, who would have thought? You know, we, we all have those stories, shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know. And we thought of some little gadget <laughs> gizmo we could have invented, and we thought, you know, the world would love this. And, you know, six months later, someone else did it. Yeah, and <laughs> The way life is, my friend. Being a massive investor, so um, I, don't, I get, don't get real excited over passive income. So I don't, I don't like rentals. I have rentals. Um, I have a, a program or a uh, mathematical theory behind when I have a passive income unit. But I'm basically a massive person. So I'll go out and I'll buy a house at 55 to 65 cents on the dollar directly from the owner of the property and then flip that thing to somebody that either wants to keep it as a rental after they fix it up or fix it up and flip it again. And I could kick myself some days as I see, you know, in 0405, as we were seeing real estate climb, you know, by the hundreds of thousands of dollars in a year, I I was kicking myself because, you know, the previous year I had sold, you know, quite a few units at, you know, at top dollar pricing. And the next year I would have made another two or three, four million dollars in appreciation because I was a massive investor, not a passive investor. Right, right. Well, you know, look, we all have stories like that, but and it, things can all go the other way. Too. Oh, yes. As and, a lot of people uh, when, found out. When you're, yes. when you're yeah, the, tens of millions of people found that out. You know, when you're a speculator, you, you just you just don't know. I mean, look, at in, in many years in this business, I have never met anybody who can reliably predict appreciation or depreciation. You know, all of the gurus out there doing it, they're right until they're wrong. And there's always a time when they fall on their sword. I'll give you an example. In Orange County, California, uh, there was a guy who for years and years and years was really well known locally, uh, who was always speaking at the realtor meetings and he was on the, you know, the local speaking circuit as a a pretty big name. I mean, every year he'd come out with a forecast and everybody would wait with bated breath. And his name was Gary Watts. And, you know, Gary was always right until he was wrong. And in uh, about 2005 or maybe it was 2006, he kept saying, oh, the Orange County market is going crazy. It's going up, up, up. And it went down, down the tubes. And now you never hear from him. Right. So they're always right until they're wrong. I know that sounds like a funny statement, but just remember that nobody can reliably predict these market cycles, not even the Federal Reserve, for God's sake. And they control control the the market market cycles and and they they can't. predict. Yeah. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can't predict it. The government can't predict it. Okay, it's there are too many variables. So if you just simply invest for cash flow, 
if you follow my commandment number five and you you'll hit appreciation cycles in there and you know somewhere in 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 any 10 year period you're going to hit one and then you can you know you can you can be a speculator during that right, phase right absolutely right absolutely you know just because you're there because you're in right. the game but the saddest portion is people that sit there and try and make predictions and they wait and they wait and they go oh the market's gone up too much already and then they they miss the cycle because they're trying to predict and uh you know it just, it just doesn't work i mean it really doesn't <laughs> you 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 got to just be in the game if you're in the game you're you're going to get lucky at some point do you have a formula for cash flow yeah basically 1% per month of the property value that's just a you know it's just a very basic rule of thumb uh but um 1% per month is a very good rule to follow. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar property and it rents for one thousand dollars per month, you're probably going to do great on that investment. And this is why we can't do anything in California right. because it's all just way too right. expensive. You know, in California, you're going to get a five hundred thousand dollar property that rents for eighteen hundred right. a month when it should be renting for five thousand right. a month. Okay, so what you need to do instead is you need to buy five $100,000 homes in a couple of diversified markets like Memphis and Indianapolis and Atlanta and, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, we've got a bunch of different markets we recommend that rent for a thousand per month each. So you can get $5,000 per month. Out and I that. like that model better anyway, because if, if you have five pieces worth the same as one piece and one of yeah. them become vacant on either side of that equation, if one comes vacant on the 500,000 piece, it's all vacant. Where if one comes vacant on the five pieces of a hundred, then you still have four pieces producing. Oh yeah. No, your risk is yeah. much lower. And, and in addition to that, I mean, you make a very good point, but in addition to your very good point, you diversify geographically. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an old saying that all real estate is local. There has never really been any sort of consistent uh, downturn nationwide. There is no such thing as a national housing market in the U.S. There are about 400 local markets. So take the most historically proven asset class, but diversify geographically into three markets minimum, but as many as five maximum. Three to five markets. You'll be in great shape. Is there a place that people could go and learn your philosophy and, and your detail on these 400 local markets? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly my website, which is just my name, jasonhartman.com, okay. and that's H-A-R-T-M-A-N, jasonhartman.com. And then uh, my podcast, you know, whatever po- podcast platform you're using, just type my name in there on iTunes Store, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, whatever, and you'll find my Creating Wealth podcast where I talk all about this okay. stuff. There's just a lot of great information out there, like your podcast and 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 others out there. You know, you, you don't have to spend a lot of money for this education nowadays. You re, you, you, know, you really just, don't, and yeah. I think you need yeah. education. And I think yeah. I'm a firm believer that we need a life coach. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm always amazed that for some reason we don't consider ourselves at the same caliber that maybe a professional athlete or a professional singer or. Uh, movie star or politician, they all have life coaches. 
helping right. them achieve great, great things. From an education perspective, there are so many channels out there that you can turn on that you get true, real information. And you can tell it's real information yep. because when I speak to someone, I can tell in just a few minutes if they're talking from 20 years ago or if they're speaking about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I hope that other people can pick up on that as well. Yep. Absolutely. I have some rentals down in North Carolina, which I love because I can get a... Um, yeah, what city? Fayetteville. Oh, yeah. Fayetteville's great. Yeah. What I like about them is my cost. Now, I'm I'm buying them, so I don't have any leverage. But the cost that I have into them gets returned in 24 months. So I like that model. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a fantastic model. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of like my, my if I if I have passive income, that's my model. That's the one I want to stick to because I like the bucket load of money of massive flipping. Have you ever mm-hmm. gone into the flipping arena? Oh yeah, of course. I've done I've done you know several flips over the years. It's okay. I I just definitely noticed though, Michael, that the people who do flipping they have spending money. The people who buy and hold seem to have real wealth. And I don't want to be so actively involved in managing these deals all the time. I just like to buy good properties, sit back and let time and, you know, ridiculous bad government policies that ultimately cause inflation at, you know, various points throughout the years just make my investments better all the time. You know, that that's what I like. I, I want it to be an investment, not a business. If someone's in the business where, you know, they've got time to really pay attention to this stuff and manage construction projects and things like that, hey, go out and flip. You, you'll make money faster. But that's a business. Right. I'm looking at it from an investment perspective more than a business. And there is that definite difference where mm-hmm. you can, yeah. certainly if you're going to be flipping at any level, um, that you better have some systemization and, and some business sense to be able to do that because it's not done on, you know, by accident and not that passive income is done by accident either, but you don't have to have a business to buy passively. You're right. I absolutely have to have staff to buy massively. Yeah, right, right. Yep, absolutely. What else can you share with us? You're fascinating. Well, you know how we were talking about market timing? I would love to just share right. a little bit of a, a great poem if I could. Are you familiar with the Reluctant Investor's Lament? I am not. This is brilliant. I mean, this guy was so awesome. Okay, so this... It's not going to make me cry, is it? It might. Because <laughs> I am like the biggest crybaby there is, so... It might make some of your listeners cry. But this guy, Donald Wheel, wrote this back in 1977. And I've abridged it a little bit to just make it a little shorter. But it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. And it really sums up, you know, why we're in such a great arena when it comes to investing here, but also why we, it's, it's just futile to try and predict the market. And, and, you know, you just got to get in for cash flow and do that and get your, just be in the game. You know, as Woody Allen said, 80% of success is just showing up. And in, in the real estate world, showing up means own properties. And if you just own them, some great things are going to happen to you over the years, like massive appreciation at some point and, uh, or, you know, or massive inflation that pays down your mortgages for you, you know, either way you look at it, uh, and you're going to be in great shape. So I, I'd be glad to just, uh, share a little bit Please. of this great poem with you. It's one, it's not my work, 
I've got my tissue handy just in case. But uh, but but it's great. Okay, so it's called the Reluctant Investors Lament, and it's written from the 1977 perspective. Okay, so listen to how this guy thought about real estate in 1977. He says, "I hesitate to make a list of all the countless deals I've missed, bonanzas that were in my grip. I watched them through my fingers slip. The windfalls which I should have bought." were lost because I overthought. I thought of this, I thought of that. I could have sworn I smelled a rat. And while I thought things over twice, another grabbed them at the price. It seems I always hesitate, then make up my mind when it's much too late. A very cautious man am I, and that is why I never buy. When Tucson was cheap desert land, I could have had a heap of sand. When Phoenix was the place to buy, I thought the climate was too dry. Invest in Dallas, that's the spot, but my sixth sense warned me I should not. And that is why I never buy. How Nassau, how Suffolk grew, North Jersey, Staten Island too. When others called those sprawling farms and welcomed deals with open arms, a corner here, 10 acres there, compounding values year by year, I chose to think, and as I thought, they bought the deals I should have bought. The golden chances I had then are lost and will not come again. Today I cannot be enticed. For in 1977, everything is so overpriced. <laughs> the deals of yesteryear are dead. The market's soft and so's my head. At time, a teardrop rounds my eye for the deals I had but did not buy. And now life's saddest words I pen. If only, if only I'd invested back then. Isn't that brilliant? That is absolutely brilliant. It's totally brilliant. Yeah, I know. The 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 thing that that radiates after listening is how many people do not begin. Right. That they're just so afraid of that paralysis. People tell me all the time that they're afraid of failure. That's why they don't do it. Yeah. And I tell them the same thing. I said, "I'm afraid of failure too, which is why I do it." Mm-hmm. So how can how can two people have the same statement? And that it mean exactly opposite. Let me guess the way the way I interpret what you're saying is that you're afraid of failure and that the failure would be missing out. Yes. Right. Or they're afraid they'll buy something and it'll go bad. It'll go wrong. And I and we we still have the same fear or a similar fear or at least the same statement that we're describing our fear. That poem I am absolutely going to. Grab somewhere. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll send it to you and you can put that, it on your website. That would be, out, that'd be okay. outstanding. I'll, I'll just keep and um, yeah. you did such a great job uh, reciting it. I might have to put it live so they can re-listen just the poem. Here's a serious question. Here's, are you ready Sounds for the serious, really important, the most important question you'll be asked today? Lay it on me and we will wrap it up. Go for it. What would you do on day one if you didn't ever do it before? So you're brand, you know, you're, you're 19 years yeah. old again, but you have all of this uh-huh. experience. What would you do on day one mm-hmm. of your real estate investment career? Oh, that's such a interesting question and a tough one too. Of course, I would have purchased cash flowing properties rather than Southern California speculative type properties, and I would have just held on to them for. 27.5 years each because that's the depreciation schedule. And I, I would have really paid more attention to the investment side, the, the, you know, the wealth building, more passive side of my life than the active, you know, 
earn an income from your job, from your business side, because the investments really, even though they don't pay as quickly in the long run, I, th- I think they're more powerful because they, they provide a lot more absolutely. leverage. Yeah. You, you can absolutely yeah. do more because you know what? That JLB is going to, it's going to get rid of you eventually. Yep, it's going to get rid of you. That's a very interesting way to put it. Yeah. It absolutely is asking, going to ask you to go home and that, tell you that we don't need you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And so, for some reason, real estate still loves you. It never doesn't love you. Sometimes it's a little yeah. hard on you. And it's it's not very fickle, you know. Real estate is is just very reliable. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm not afraid to say I love dirt because it is there. You almost have to sometimes have a passion for it because sometimes. Some days will be a little bit harder than other days, but when you when you realize you love doing this so much that there's a driving force, for me anyway, about this just the idea of owning a bucket load of houses that um, mm-hmm. makes me get up in the morning and and when I lay my head on my pillow at the end of the day, um, uh, I've had a good day. I've had a yeah, I've absolutely. Had a really good day, and it's all because of dirt and what can be put on it. Yeah, yeah. It and it has so many faces. It and that you know, someone, as you said earlier, someone could say, "I want to do mobile home parks. I want to do income properties. I want to do single families. I like massive income, so I like uh, flipping. Some people will like passive income. Um, so it has so many faces. It loves all of us." Without dirt, where would would be be floating around in space? Yeah, very good point. No, you know, and they're not making any more of it. So don't no. wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and then wait. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure talking with you and your listeners. Uh, thank you for having me on. I, I have one more question though. Sure, it's been fun for you to be on. I always ask this, and I have to figure out a better way to ask it. And, and I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm say that because I hope one of the listeners. You know, writes me and says, Mike, here's how you could say it better. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm not as smart as some people, but what didn't I ask you that most people ask you? Hmm. Gosh. Uh, what did I leave undone? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you pretty much covered the, the, the story. I mean, uh, I, I, I just think that, you know, Look at have a core philosophy to your investing, and um, you know one other tip I would really give. This is really important for investors: is um, standardize your data. You must engage in data standardization. And what I mean by that is that when I started my investment only business, where I was only dealing with 100% investors, which is all my companies do now, we don't deal with any regular home buyers or anything like that. We standardized the data about 11 years ago. Uh, and basically what that means is that you should not have to be a detective every time you evaluate a property. You've got to standardize them. I use a program called Property Tracker, and it's propertytracker.com. It's an absolutely wonderful product. I met the developer of it, and then he became one of our clients. And you, it, it standardizes all the data, so you don't have to be a detective. You just learn how to read one sheet in, in, in how to evaluate a property. And if you can read that one-page sheet, and you can see all these at jasonhartman.com in the property section because that's what we use and love, this one sheet will really tell you if the deal is good or bad. 
Okay. And uh, so standardized data. And um, I absolutely love the property tracker program. Standardized data. I'm writing this down. It's important. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Happy investing to you and your listeners. And uh, as I mentioned before, my website's jasonhartman.com. And we will um, put your beautiful picture on our site and links back to you and take care of them, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That was fun. That was absolutely enjoyable. I could tell that he has so much knowledge in his head that I could probably talk to him all weekend and then the next weekend and then the next weekend after that. And I wouldn't, he wouldn't dump all of his knowledge onto me. That's just, I just, I love people like that. I love people that I I call them people that I can talk to. They're just special to me where you can talk to them on a level where you understand what they're talking about and they're, they're big thinkers as well. And they, they have something to bring to the table. So they're, they're not just sponges gobbling up from you, but they can give you something. They can take something, man. It's these, these shows. I hope you guys are enjoying it. And you know, the takeaway from, from this episode, I loved his take on standardization of the data. I love that. I love Love, 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 love his idea of the 400 local markets and to pick three or five of them if you want to invest in that. That poem, I'm absolutely, that's going to go in a picture frame on one of my walls in my office. If you were to see my office, I got picture frames of all kinds of things in my office, but that's absolutely, that should be a mantra for investors so that we, we understand that it's right there in front of us. That it's right there in front of us, guys and gals. All we got to do is take it. All we got to go is get it. All we got to do is follow through. All we got to do is do. You know, all you got to do is do. Till next time, you guys take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Michael Quarles Real Estate Show. Get more info and stay in touch at michaelquarles.com.